I feel it deeply. What are we talking about? We are talking about, of course, Matt, the Friends reunion, which is uh, being filmed right now or just was being filmed somewhere in this fair city. You're right. As we speak. I, I, can you believe yeah. that you're more, uh, you have your finger on the pulse of this more than I do? Well, I mean, I can see where you might want to delay your gratification about the whole thing and just kind of not, you know, just avoid spoilers. Just have it arrive on HBO Max when it's ready to arrive on HBO Max and be surprised by it then. Yeah, and look, in a weird way, I'm not as excited about it as I probably should be. I think the okay. fact that it that we know that it is not it's if this were an episode of Friends, if this were a scripted, staged, filmed episode of Friends, what's happening when they're in their 50s, I would be yeah. losing my mind. I wouldn't be sleeping or eating. But knowing that right. we're, it's just going to be like a panel and they're going to like talk about their memories and stuff, the, like it's a DVD extra, mm-hmm. I, you know. And we, yeah, yeah. we've been promised. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes. I know what you're going to say. We have been promised something. What amounts to, I guess, a table read. There's been a chunk of a new script that they're going to read or whatever. Um, Sure, it'll be fine. It'll it'll be be fine. fine. uh, I'll take whatever I can get without question. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. You know, am I a little bit worried about Matthew Perry? I think we all should be. We all are. We all are. We all are. He's fragile. Uh, it, will it be hosted by James Corden or does it just feel like something that would be hosted by James Corden? Yeah, you're so right. Without knowing anything about it, it has the strongest of James Corden vibes. Yeah, it feels very, very strongly James Corden. Um, it, it's happening soon. It's happening now. It'll air on HBO Max soon. We'll discuss it when we get to it. I suppose. I don't know. Uh, all, all I know is I'm in a... I, I, my head is twisted. My head, my my head, my soul is is wrung. What's going on? Uh, our our guest this week. Oh yeah. It, it, listen, you're g- buckle up. Buckle up, listener. Buckle up. Norman Corpy, queer icon, cast member of season one of Real World and season one of the Real World Homecoming, uh, which has been the best show on television for the last six weeks, is our guest um, this week. If um, if if you have if your kink is uh us trying to uh get a word in you're get ready oh yeah you're this about to is the episode for you baby this is the episode for you it's going to get you through the next few weeks yeah you know um, we'll Norman, occasionally have a guest where we're there's a little bit of tooth pulling there's some awkward silences this is the right. full blown opposite of that yeah this is literally the flip side of that coin um, in a good way. Um, I, we'll just tell you, if you want a little behind-the-scenes goss, um, we we had a, a wonderful conversation with Norman. We said thank you. We signed off. Uh, you stopped recording, Matt. I stopped recording. Uh, our, our producer, Renee, didn't, and that's wise because he said words that will haunt me until the day I die. Yeah, he has said, these stories. Oh, wait, are, is it going to be? Stories. Are people going to hear it, or it's not going to be? In no, no, it? no okay, I don't think we're it. ever going to air it. I don't think we're ever going to okay, air it. I don't okay. think we're ready to open ourselves up to this kind of legal jeopardy. But he said, "These are the words." I didn't even tell you about my kidnapping. <laughs> so, and then, and then we didn't have a chance to say no. We you didn't, and and we can't. We don't want you to, because he just went and. um and and it was a it the twists and turns and corkscrews 
and and 360 loops uh, that that story took. Wild, 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 wild. My brain is like a scene from Twister, like a cow will come through, um, a house will fly by, it's snarling like a caged animal. It's, I'm... I'll never be the same. It really was like Zola, the the famous Twitter thread that is now going to yes. be a movie. It was just yeah. we went down such a rabbit hole. You cannot believe that this actually happened. And yeah. yet, when you have have spent an hour with Norman, of course it happened. Of course it happened. I took a screenshot of our Zoom um, with the two of us and producer Renee and the Paramount Plus publicist. Um, all of us, the stress of this story uh, uh. affecting our bodies. In unique and different ways, uh, I don't know if that screenshot will see the light of day. Perhaps it will on our on our uh, Instagram. Yeah, it Ooh. does. That screenshot says it all. Yeah, so just just get ready and get ready for the next few weeks of homophilia. We have uh, we have Big Frida on the way and Nigel Campbell next week. Yes, a Nigel Campbell. Punch. By the way, we should let people know now because it's going to be out this weekend. He is my dear friend and showrunner of Saints and Sinners on Bounce TV. Uh, I just realized that's going to be the Bounce episode because we have Nigel oh, of Bounce queen TV of Bounce. and we have the Queen of Bounce, two Queens of Bounce, frankly. It's um, a Bounce, Bounce, Bounce episode. Saints and Sinners is a delicious soap opera with the majority black cast. And Nigel was the showrunner of season five, which premieres this Sunday, April 11th on Bounce TV. Um, and you can also catch up on previous seasons on Hulu. So I just wanted to give him a plug uh, so that you can catch some of this show before he comes on and talks to us. Before he comes on and steals your heart. Um, we have uh, the guests who are coming up are going to blow oh, yeah. your mind. Name the rest of the names. T.S. Madison. T.S. Madison. T.S. Madison. Tig Notaro. Yeah. Uh, Charlie Carver. Yes. Um, we're, I'm telling you. Zeke Smith. This is Zeke Smith. Good Lord. Yeah, we're we're in a it's a renaissance. Truly, truly a bounty. Um, and mm-hmm. I also want to let people know because I have been getting some DMs, a lot, a surprising amount of DMs asking me about my I hate to say it, but my iconic chain, uh, yeah. which is Your signature. You know, I got from my dear friends Shira and Dana. Uh, who have the jewelry company, the 10 Jewelry, and we've talked about it on here before. But I'm bringing it up because I've been telling them like so many homophilia people are coming at me asking about this chain that they um, wanted to give our listeners a discount code. So I'm just forcing an ad right here into the intro, but Do I, it. I think that the people need this. So there is a chain called The Maddie. I don't know where they got that name. And it is the like the chain that I'm wearing, which I don't know, uh, I don't know jewelry details, but it's a it's a it's it's solid gold. It's it's good shit, and it is a it's it's a it's a pretty thin, straightforward. They call it a classic starter chain, especially for you know male identifying mm-hmm. people who are a little like I want a chain, but I don't know where to start. You want the Maddie, so if you get the Maddie um, at the ten jewelry dot com, that's t h e one zero jewelry dot com. They're also very findable on Instagram. Use code Maddie at checkout, M-A-T-T-Y, all lowercase. You'll get 10% off the Maddie chain. And by the way, it's not just me wearing the 10. It's your Jonah Hills, your uh, Alicia Keys's, your Camille Cabello's, your Casey Wilson's, your June Diane Rayfield's, your Cool Up for Life X, the, the stars. The These are the jewelers. Yeah. The stars. 
Yeah. If you are nervous about getting into what we'll call the chain game, uh, start with what you know looks good. Yeah. Look at Matt McConkey. This thing looks fantastic on him. It'll look great on you, too. I wish that people could see what you're working with right now. A, a button-down shirt, mm-hmm. generously unbuttoned. No T-shirt underneath it's, to really showcase that gold chain. Yeah. Yeah, I'm wearing a different gold chain. But it, yeah, it's no Matty. Oh. It's all right, but it's no Matty. Uh, The10jewelry.com. Use promo code Matty. And, I mean, I, I've said it before. I will say it again. Be in a seated position mm-hmm. if you can be restrained in any way to keep you from falling over. Uh, I would recommend that. Um, you know, you'll want cushions near you. Um, you. Alert a friend that you will be listening to the next hour of podcasting and that if if they don't hear from you afterwards to check in. Yes. yes, um, yes. It's going to you're going to your life's going to take some twists and some turns, but it's going to be mighty real with Norman Corpy after the break. We are Dude, back. I didn't even know that was with you, Norman Corby. I apologize to death. And wait, what? I've been doing. You know, they they set up all these interviews, and I'm like, I know Dave. Sure. I met Dave. I can't believe it. I just yeah. talked to you for like you know forty minutes, and then it, it was like until it wasn't until the end, and then your name was somewhere. Your last name was like, wait. I, I don't feel like an idiot. Yeah. that I was just literally. That's okay. Why, you know, how are you doing? You look great. Please, <laughs> thank you. You look great. I'm I'm doing I'm doing great. How? Are you? Oh my god! I need a clone. Yeah, <laughs> I would imagine things are quite I busy. I need a clone. It's yeah. It's 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 yeah, it literally super crazy. I got my first piece of fan mail at my cousin's bakery today. Oh wow! So that's how clever these Stop kids it. are. Yeah, I guess if you know the name of the bakery, you 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 can find your way there. What did they say? Look, uh, you know, it's just crazy fan mail. <laughs> physical mail and their zines and all big stuff you know they're oh these kids are insane stuff yeah wow so i mean can you summarize it for us are you are you comfortable saying what was said in this fan well um they saw my upper peninsula michigan shirt and you know it's it's a it's a, a a tribe up here you know if you're from the northern part of michigan um, we're always left out because everyone's like, oh, what part of Michigan are you from? And they always put their hand up and they're like, I'm from right here, Lansing, or I'm from Traverse City. And everyone's like, and then, well, I'm not from there. You know, I'm from over here. And they're like, what is that? You know, even people in Michigan don't yeah. know there's another peninsula. So I, I often refer to, and you'll see a lot of like national maps, like on the national news, they'll have a, a map of the United States and they always forget the upper peninsula, which is almost as big as Pennsylvania. And and it's always forgotten. So I'm now considering it like, um, um, what is it, Thermoscara? Where does Wonder Woman come from? The island that's invisible? Thermos, Thermoscara? Like yeah. yeah, so we're like Wonder Woman's island. We're an invisible piece of geography for the United States. I can't States. forget that Upper Peninsula. So when Magical. people see this, this, this girl was watching and had no idea, because everyone on the original series thought we were all from New York. Right. You know, And I had gone to yeah. college in New York at Cooper Union. But, you know, I'm from Michigan, so I, I came from Michigan and from the Upper Peninsula, which is also super rare from the, the island of Wonder Woman. And uh, she lost her mind and she couldn't believe I was making pasties, which is like the food of the gods of the UP. Like that's 
religion up here is that once you come to the upper upper peninsula you have to have a pasty mm. which is a little meat pie. what is a pasty it's a meat and potato pie Ooh. and um get out of here it used to be a lot of mining here in the turn of the century so the miners used to carry these hot pies to eat when they'd go down into the mines and um when the mines shut down that's we were left with pasties. do you make can you get a pasty at the bakery <laughs> yes yeah you can get them online and order them and um yes and, and we we ship them out um, and so a lot of people who who had to move away from the Upper Peninsula because work is very far few between, um, you know, yeah. they just, they order pasties. It reminds them of home. I love it. St. Louis people do that as well. We have a, a very unique St. Louis pizza that is, um, its feature is that it's terrible. <laughs> Um, but if you terrible. are from St. Louis, you love yeah. it. No, pizza is never terrible. You're right. Um, it's but if you, if you're from St. Louis, you have an affinity for it. So people will have the 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 elements shipped out in dry ice and have a St. Oh, Louis. Well, I, pizza well I'm going to need to know about that because I started to open up our pizza line because what when I when I yeah. did move back here to Michigan, you know, all those small time pizza. You know, a lot of the places are all old Italian places. You know, the businesses and um, yeah. You know, their mom and pops, and as my aunt and uncle, and many of our family are retiring from those businesses, their kids have moved on and they're not doing the businesses. And then you've lost this like 100 year old Italian restaurant or pizza restaurant. And so they've, I've watched them all go down, especially also with COVID. So I said, you know, we just can't be left with chain pizza restaurants. And there's nothing wrong with that. I do love all pizzas, but you know, we need to have. Something that's you know you you taste the flavors of the area you know we're we're joined to Wisconsin yeah. so we have incredible cheese selections and sausage selections and all that original stuff and so my uh, my uncle has you know the pizza dough recipes from when he was on the Navy in in World War II like he was wow. he was the baker on on the you know back then so we have these recipes so I've just kind of resurrected all of his ingredients and have done them and. Uh, this Saturday is another one of our pop-up live pizza events, and so uh, you know they're they're okay. happening. You know, has life at the bakery uh, changed since the show has aired? Have uh, beyond the fan mail, have people been popping in, or are randos you know looking well, for you? Know, the, no one cares anything about like no one watches TV, and it's not it's a great place to kind of go and disappear on on this invisible island up here if you want to not be a part of any of that because. It really is just like I, I like to refer to a lot of people instead of hillbillies. Or, I like to think of them as jeters for some reason. When I was a kid, I called them jeters, and, and um, they're kind of a northern version of hillbillies. And they just literally are just fun folk. Everyone somehow knows how to play music. They're always they always have like an accordion or something. And they're ready to play. <laughs> you know, it just turns into like a weird jam session out in the woods, and bears and moose start showing up. And so. Um, the town doesn't really know, but I was on the local paper on the front page this weekend, the Ironwood Daily Globe, and, and holy cow, you would have thought Jesus just walked into town. <laughs> really? What was the story? Well, it was, you well, know, Norm I mean, working in, in Rigoni's Bakery, and, and already the, everyone in the town knows Rigoni's Bakery. It's a very small town, so just that I was the new oddity, like, wow, what? What, 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 what kind of circus animals going on here? And, Whoa, wow, you know, so... Uh, you know my old my older cousins that are like second you know my dad's cousins so they'd be my first cousins they they came in yeah i'm like in the middle of making pasties usually i wake up i, I have to peel 400 pounds of potatoes in the morning and yeah oh. 400 pounds and mm. uh so i'm getting my little workout um and 
they're coming into the back of the bakery and they're just in, well i know your dad we fished and hunted what i can't well you look just like him you know like this endless stream of youpers coming in to you know verify that i'm there <laughs> i'm i'm loving yeah. it what is is there uh a a queer scene to speak of in well, the it's so interesting upper peninsula yes um of course my i have you know the gays we have gays in my family i'm a very big italian family where what did i just what did my oldest cousin just come in he came in with me on the cover of out magazine like he mm. i was on out maybe with danny Yes, I remember. I know the exact cover you're talking about. Yeah, he he gave it to me, and he. Oh, where did it go? Oh, there it is, right there. Hold on a second. So, uh, okay, well, off he goes. He's gone. We've lost him. uh, There it is. It's going well so far, though. So there it is. It was interesting because you know he had been in the closet. He's like he's like in his late sixties, and um, and so he was in Duluth, Minnesota, which is our next largest city, Duluth, Minnesota. And when this came out, um. He couldn't believe it because I was a little kid, you know, and he was much older because my dad's, you know. And um, so he had had this copy forever. So he came into the bakery this weekend, too, and was like, I had this and I was just so proud because then I could come out, you know, because, you know, these people were super closeted. They're like, you know, 10, 15 years, you know, our generation and just had to live a completely different life. Um, So totally a few summers back. um, he, you know, he introduced me to all of his like gay friends that are up here in the woods. Oh my goodness, scandal and hotness. Well, you know Ezra. You know Ezra, right? The football player Ezra Fiola. You know. Oh yeah, yeah, big yeah, Ezra. yeah. So yeah. he has a lake house yeah. not too far from here. So you know, so you know, we're always dragging people up from the Twin Cities. So yeah, we have this uh-huh. whole thing going on, and there's like these super well put together designer guys that own the Spider Lake Lodge in wisconsin and it's like one of these blue chip like where you go resorts and it's like built from the 1930s log cabin every dream you can imagine with the old canoes made out of wood and the whole bit and they've styled it up with the bear rugs and just the best breakfast you can get you know so they bring up you know a lot of people because they also have a shop sticks and stones or something like that um and where everyone decorates all their fancy log cabins and stuff like this so yeah, there's, you know, so it's, oh, and I found my this first is my wonderful um, transgender person, Aurora. She works at the dollar store here. So she, I don't want to scare her yet, yeah. you know, and because, you know, she doesn't know who I am or what's going on here. But she's just working hard as the cash register. And I'm like in there sparkling uh-huh. like, oh, my God, look, we have a wonderful transgender person working here in town. Bring her into it's a the new world. world. Yes. Yeah. So. One thing to clear up for us, just, you know, obviously you're known as this trailblazer for being one of the first out gay people on TV. But over the years, and you touch uh, on this in the show a bit, but I I think there's still some confusion, you know, that uh, as to whether you identified as bi or or if you were inaccurately labeled as bi. Can you just walk us through that? Yeah, I mean, and it's almost so hard because you I mean, you look like a young puppy. But, Not, but um, thank you, you know, Dave's more, kind of, you yes. know, Fresh came from spring. that same world. But, you know, we came from a world that's almost so hard to describe. It's so interesting that time has changed and that the actually the way that people think has changed. I didn't know I'd, I'd ever be old enough to actually see the arc of acceptance that we could actually have this conversation that we're having now. 
So we dial ourselves back to that weird time frame, you know, right at 92. And literally, I stood right on that fence. It's like, you know, we went to the moon one year and the other year we didn't go to the moon. So I was like the moon shot. And people didn't know even how, know how to interview you, including the people running the show. You know, I mean, John Murray, I mean, I didn't even know he was gay and he didn't even come out. It was like Mary Ellis who did the show. So people were so cagey and protective still professionally because people could judge you. People could remove you if you were a school teacher. I mean, the list goes on and on. Every right that we are today still fighting for was real and on the books. And there was no community and there was no support. So you basically had to like train people, you know, how to move forward. And so as people are trying to like interview you and mind you, it was pretty much illegal to even ask the questions like you couldn't even print if a celebrity was kind of gay or not. It was like liable to the worst form. Like if there was a gay even character in a movie, I believe up until recently, you immediately had an R rating R rating right off the bat, you know, so that that's part of this whole world I was going on. So when people are interviewing you and they're trying to get your trajectory, it's like, yes, you know, you look back and you say, you know, when I was in third grade, who was I most attracted to? It was like Linda Carter, Wonder Woman. And I guess you could say, okay, he's straight, you know, at that universe. And then you go through college and you experiment with like women, blah, 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 blah. And then, but on the show, that wasn't no longer my reality. Like I had moved beyond that, but I had to like explain to people, you know, like that I had come from that. And I had those honest relationships. I tried them. They didn't work, but that is not where I was at. And so as the show got put together, they only took those elements, which were always mysterious to me. You know, I'd heard, you know, from that whole group back at MTV. And I remember going to the VMAs and the, and the, and the, the people in the press department, they came right up to me and they were drunk and they were like, we couldn't sell the show with you on it. You know, we, I mean, no one will sponsor a show with a gay person. That's like plutonium. I mean, Coca-Cola is not getting behind gay. There's, and mind you, yeah, you look around like, how is that possible? There were no allies. There was nobody to have a support system. And if there was a support system, they were so ghettoized to a point that no one would reach out to them because you knew they were gay. They were immediately like a lesbian. They were immediately out. And we're, we're going to put you in that box and we're not going to even talk to you. I mean, glad we're two people in a fold up chair back then in a tiny little room in the corner, you know? So, you know, I come along with this whole thing. So it was very weird and hard how they were going to present me. But for me, I was, you know, okay. It was out. I was part of like the group that started act up Douglas crimp. We were one of six, I was one of like 16 people in the room that started like act up when it was there. You know, my professor at Cooper union um, was like, he was totally out. I mean, he's like, <laughs> he was bless his soul. And we had lost so many people at Cooper union that, that year. And so very out, you know, and you know, I, I mean, there was like Lady Bunny. All of these people were actually footage on the real world. In fact, I forgot all about this. I mean, they would come to my parties, you know, Linda Simpson. I was very much with like the more downtown RuPaul, you know, Randy and Fenton, all the world wonders. Like those were always my friends, the more colorful, wild ones, you know, but they were even too wild to even be put on to such a show. I mean, I, I was so disappointed half of the time that I didn't see like footage coming up, but I was disappointed. I was very good friends with Michael Musto who wrote for the village voice and he knew who I was and 
wrote a big article and back then to get that much attention on page six in the village voice and like you know was like insane like my all my drag queen friends like oh my god there's like a paragraph usually you're just mentioned as walking in or out of a club and so he was very celebratory and then he saw episode three where julie's like oh he's bisexual and this and this and that and then i was like what is going on here you know and then you know, if you watch the show then you'd see me with charles perez but by that time yeah, you know, any mention of anyone that was not heterosexual for the first time in anything, anyone that's like, oh, God, this guy sucks dick or whatever. It's like a bomb that goes off in pop culture. And that noise was so yeah. heard that it hurt a lot of the gay people. It hurt a lot of people that were, um, you know, starting up Out Magazine and starting all of these things. And they're like, why did you cop out? And, and they would and it was reality. And so they thought that I was driving this bus, you know. And then the press picks it up and they run this whole thing. And so for the, you know, I was yeah. like a Frankenstein for the first couple of years. I mean, I even remember in yeah. God Bless His Soul and I love Pedro and he did a lot of stuff, but he was like very dissatisfied with like me being a coward. And I'm like, I don't edit the show. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not in control. I'm me. Yeah. You know, I'm like, I'm not, you know, the other people are telling just, my yeah. story, but then my story gets like inked like this. So it was, it was very mm-hmm. frustrating, you know, for me. Um, for a long time because where I wanted to have that support within the gay community, that particular part pretty much turned their back away. And then, you know, I had to like figure out how to, you know, make my way in this new world, you know? So it was just kind of interesting. So that's kind of how all of those things, you know, evolved. But now we're dealing with a lot of transgender people who are like fluid. It's like, how do you go about describing yourself you know are do you feel you're a man or woman and and you know so we're giving them so much more latitude where you know dial that back five years where you know how how people are describing them so in the early days you know yes it's if did i sleep with women yes you know um if there was a nuclear war and i needed to reproduce yes you know all that kind of stuff is that my head and my head you know where i'm at and what i had matured to be as an adult as a young adult no uh, you know i was a gay person as a young adult and i'd was I had a, a two-year relationship with um, Paul, aka Tina, and she was wonderful. And um, and then you know that's how I moved on. So it just the storytelling wasn't super accurate, and and it, you know I and I paid a weird price, and it it threw me around a little bit. And I tried to keep it and you know happiness as much as possible and silliness, but you know deep down inside there just was not lot of opportunities for me and it, it was just so impressive for you Dave when you were coming on it's a BJ you know and that how you were bringing your story and how the world now we were stepping up to these places and stuff I mean you were pretty still well, early I mean, on in the in the game there Dave sort of but you know I, I wish I had been bolder earlier but you, you get at something really interesting which I you know not only do the kids not get it people our age forget it and and that's that like your ability to control your own narrative was really limited mm-hmm. back then. You did not have um you, you didn't have a blog or a social media presence or anything. Like a person just did not have that. And and like even in their you know, like if you're trying to be public in any way, you needed the help of a media to get your story out and and you weren't in charge of whether it was accurate. Yeah. Or not. I mean once the circus once the show came you would do interviews. I did them from my point of view, and it was usually about a month or two before the show was edited and ran. You know, that whole, you know, New York Times, all that circus went on, you know, and they had yeah. wrote their stories based on whatever 
videotapes were sent to them, you know? Um, and mm-hmm. so I, you know, I didn't have the, I mean, who am I? I didn't have the power to be in the New York times for God's sakes. You know, me, like yeah. struggling artist kind of person. Yeah. The fascinating thing for me about the, the, this, the confusion around the sort of by storyline was that you were in this position of defending bisexuality because you know as we know like especially then there's all of this like biphobia with with gay men especially and that you're in this position of having to defend it that, that like obviously it's a real thing uh but at the same time it's not actually the the accurate label for you personally you, you're right. damned if it's, you do you know and i i and it, and it, Exactly. And, and I, that's fine. I mean, I don't care what label it is. There just better be some label, I guess. Um, um, you know, you just kind of like work with it, you know, and um, I, you know, I tried to do the best and, 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 and people saw through that. It was the younger generation that saw through the labels. They saw through, here's something that literally there's somebody changing the way we see and the, or the way that we can accept. And not only, me doing that, it, I have to credit the cast around me, you know, and that I was in the hippest thing in the universe, MTV. I mean, if you're a young kid, when you have only 14 channels at most, and it's all about like rock and roll and being cool and everything you aspire to and that power, when you're around like the supermodel dude and like the girl from, you know, who's basically looks like, you know, what jennifer gardner i mean just gorgeous julie and you know all these hip people the hip like literally everybody in high school is like wow there's a gay guy in the hippest group i mean that's a lot of power and it's because of those people accepted me and if anything you know i went out of my way not to ever get into a fight never to go in there and go like i'm on act up and because i could have really threw that gauntlet down and got into people's faces and been like a real stinker and, and try to push a lot of this agenda. Then I was thinking, you know, right now in the time that we were living in, the only thing that was getting this kind of attention was like Robert Maplethorpe. And it was a big, huge fight against Jesse Helms. And it was on the news. And here he is. And people are like, this is art. And he's, got, and he's beautiful. And I knew and I, and I knew Robert Maplethorpe and, and that group being in the art world and you know, gorgeous flowers and gorgeous stuff. But then there's, you know, these very explicit gay pictures that are coming out as people are dying. And like, what image are we doing, you know, kind of thing. And I was like, let's just dial this back as best I can and just be like an Ozzy and Harriet kind of character. Very relatable, very likable. I would try my best to stand up for things that were right as best I, as, as I understood them. But, you know, really not right. force people down my path, you know, just kind of like have them warm up to me. And then hopefully that would, you know, translate. And I think it I think it absolutely yeah. did. And in that first season, they didn't cast seven people who would uh, drive each other fucking crazy. I know. You know, like it was there was certainly like there was conflict yeah. and there was drama and all that. But it wasn't like in later seasons, it was like, oh, you've real you're you won't be satisfied yeah. until there's a murder on camera. I know. I, I really um, I, you know, I don't know. And maybe I'm off. But I, I, you know, I really think that we were always going to be this cast. It was going to be like a Jersey Shore. Like, I know that there was a template that, you know, the soap opera was a real thing, just like how Larry David does his show, you know, Kubri Enthusiasm. It's pretty much like you get these people who have basically these improv skills, you know, to to connect and relate, create storylines right there. And it's fresh and interesting. And we're getting dialogue that we could never really get, you know, without 
going through the editors of some you know, major studio saying, not that script, not this line, not this. I mean, that's why you look at Melrose Place and everything looks so plastic and crazy. And here we are talking about real issues and engaging, and it's coming from a real place. So you've got the constitution to back up what's coming out of our mouth, you know, rather than the studio and all the layers and the liabilities. And all of a sudden here we come with this this whole new platform that's like, people are what? I mean, even the dialogue of how people talk on television. I mean, literally the real world changed those formats of how people communicate out there. I mean, you look at movies and you're like, that was acting? I mean, like, it's all, yeah, I look like crazy. I mean, the real input of real dialogue and how people engage. And, and coming back, because I really think they wanted a group of people that could have conflict, have resolution, and still come back together again. And they would probably do another season with us. And I think there was a real problem with me. I Because people got, because from really? what I understood, they retained people with money, more than what we got paid, and I wasn't one of them. And people were stunned in my really? cast, and they were like, how is that possible? I mean, I'm not going back on there unless Norm goes back on there. He was like the glue of what whatever. And so there was a question, and then, you know, four other people said, I'm not going to do it either. Eric got offered the, the whatever. And I really believe that it had to do with, you know, the advertising coming back to the show. I, you know, from what I had heard, that's, that's how people I could felt. People could boycott. People would do I could be completely wrong. Boycotts. But, you know, I think they moved on. And the one thing that was very apparent with, like, the L.A. season is that, you know, they looked at it as like, well, maybe we should have a show that will like implode and we can then make it a narrative of cities and move it around or bring other people's stories. I mean, they didn't even know what they had. I mean, literally it was still something evolving in front of them. Like, okay. You know, it's like, I, I know that it was like, um, let's do a soap opera and we want it to be something like, I think the young ones, I think that was what I heard. Like they wanted that British punk thing uh-huh. and they wanted artists in new york but they couldn't afford it but they wanted like, here was the artist so they thought this would be great and that we would literally become i think a series of us within that new york hemispheric kind of thing you know because that's what they could afford and reality was the solution to get them there you know because i think it was almost a joke at some point like well in order to afford a television show like you're talking about we have to get rid of the writers and the directors and the actors and we need the one person to do all five of those roles. And then, and that's how kind of reality came about. It was like, you, you have to have a good casting director <laughs> to get these people on. Yeah. And then people, were you, were you in the, in like the, in like season zero? I, it's my understanding that a couple of the cast members were in this like weekend long trial well, that was interesting. Um, of it? There was, yes, there was the whole pilot to just see is this going to work or not. And um, uh-huh. the only things, the, the elements that came, came, came from that were Tracy Grandstaff, who became the voice of Dara. She's a you friend know, of Tracy. mine. So she's yeah. one of the cast members yeah. of the original, you know, of that pilot series. And then there was a couple right. other people. And then they were pegged to then show up and start dating people on our cast. So... Like Becky, really? yes. And so that was part of the whole thing where we started rebelling when stuff started going off the rails. Like the executives were like, this looks like paint drying on the wall. They're really not doing anything in this loft, but we got to spice it up. So they started dragging in the other people to start dating us or maybe setting up some uh, crazy stuff. And so when they started doing that, we detected that really quickly. And, and you know, we got a little, um, uh, you know, we, we started changing our personalities and we started to do this whole thing. That in this series, it looks like we're punking Kevin, but in actuality, we were doing it against the production company and we were going to hold them hostage if they didn't like move 
off course and let us be us. You know, I'm like, you know, just you have a great group of people here and we really can give you all the material that you need. Just trust it. You know, I mean, like and, yeah. I, and, and coming back to the Homecoming series on Paramount Plus, I mean, they grew up and they listened to this. I mean, they really treated us so well and they provided so much more time. It's so much more interesting to see that the shows went from like 22 minutes to like 40 some minutes. Like the storylines kind of flesh out and people were like, oh, reunion shows are going to be so dull or dodgy or whatever. And I'm like, this is a whole new series and you're really giving, you know, us the ability to interact the way that people you know they they like seeing our personalities interact and i and we certainly enjoy interacting with each other i mean you know yeah it it is wild to see how i mean they, you get they get into a little bit how savvy you all were going into it um the the surprise is julie at 19 rummaging through the trash for production notes to see what was was being planned like i i don't have that level <laughs> of wisdom now you know and yeah that's that's shocking yeah i mean it so wait so that guy that she was on a date with that locks around the clock where she's like i have hips that would be good for breeding or whatever was it was he a plant no the plant was for um becky um and it was one of the guys off of that original pilot he was a good looking guy with you know and so they had like you know, had him follow her around and, and try to get her into a position to go on a date, oh you know? Uh, <laughs> so, so let's talk about Becky because she is a, you know, explosive part of this season. Uh, and, you know, and I know going into it, you had had kept in touch and had this very special relationship with her and you're putting this really, you know, difficult position of, you know, your, your friendship with her. But at the same time, as you said, she is sort of turning herself into a Karen on the show. So yeah. where, where are you guys now? Um, we, you know, we, we've been texting, so, you know, she's wishing me well and she's out in the desert and doing her thing. And she's, she's very inspired by, you know, what she had seen that she'd missed out on with, you know, my storyline. And, and, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, I, the great thing is, is that with us, it's like, I swear if we had an, another episode or came back, you should probably come back in because we're like one of those like families that we really can like be super honest and awful with each other. And maybe at this point, you know, she was also like, mm, I, I'm just too old for this. But then there is that connection that all of us are, all, the seven of us are going to have that no one else has and no one else can understand. So it's like, you know, I can't like your family you can't really get rid of your sister even though you want to kill her because you know she just took your car and crashed it in somebody's yard right (laughs) you know um i i honestly think that the forces at work were probably way up high um you know becky like myself have been single for the last year and the covid certainly didn't you know encourage any of our dating went right to nut zero you know and this was the first opportunity for us to really be with other people. And so there was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of like nostalgia. You could not help when you came back in that loft. I cannot explain to you how surreal it was. They got that loft, the smells, the sounds, the voices. And then you revert back to like, you know, when you go to like your reunion in, in 10th grade, or you, you have your 10 year reunion and you're sleeping with everybody. And all of a sudden you're back to square one. So the emotions were just running loose all over the place. And, you know, I just think that she was somewhere else. Mm. She was really in that bubble that I, how could you not be? 
And then when all of a sudden the boat just turned course, you know, with because um, that was the first time that we started to see these clips of our past and we knew about them and we knew that we were going to discuss these things. And I certainly wanted to discuss how I felt about the bisexual labeling of myself. So we knew that the certain conflicts were going to come up, but I think we were just kind of coming off a much more bubbly or funnier moment. And then all of a sudden that just shows up and it turned course. And I just don't know if she had the guidance to like figure out like, oh, maybe we should just have a cup of tea right now. Let me just take a breath, walk away and come back and get on this. All of a sudden it just, the two of them start digging holes and it was much longer conversation than what I'm you sure. see. You know, it's, it is, things are edited and things are going and it just was getting so big. And I was like, wow, the hole is not, is, is just getting deeper and deeper. And I just literally felt like there's so much information and they did such a good job editing because <laughs> it could have been a lot worse, honestly. Um, oh, and no. I, I just was like, I could see it just I, like going up in flames. And I, I, I didn't even know if it was registering on her head that, you know, wait, there are cameras, yeah. you know, it's like all of a sudden you forget yeah. And you're just literally, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, and that's why you and told I her to like, shut up. This is you were just... looking out for her, but it was... It, yeah. And I felt horrible to say, like, shut up. It was just like, you know, no one is going to say it. And, and it's just, and it's, you know, <clears throat> and it, it was hard because it was definitely a conversation about two different, really two different things. You know, she's just really her personal thing and then something much bigger that was happening, you know, and, and, and how to get at those points in removing yourself from it. You know, once you put yourself personally into it, it's like, you know, the, the attack was going down in there and all this stuff. So I don't know. It, it was very awkward and strange. But, um, you know, she, maybe she made the show interesting enough so people watched it. I mean, maybe we would have, I'm we telling would have you, been canceled yeah, the first episode, week. I don't know. Episode two started and it was like, oh, hold on. You know, strap in. This is going to be wild. Yeah. If you look very closely during that conversation, you can actually see the ghost of John Lennon being like <laughs> doing the slashy across the throat thing. Yeah. Like, Becky, stop. Oh, my God. Stop. Yeah. yeah. Do you got it? Do you have a sense for how she feels about how she came off? I know it's, during it's the show? not easy anytime. Like, I literally have just, no. I, honestly, I haven't had time to even look at my social feeds and they're right off the chart. I've never had them up like this. I mean, I've gone on with like a hundred people following me on Instagram. Um, and so, and I think Becky kind of was in that obscurity too. Um, but, you know, I think she started to read, you know, she's out there alone, you know, in the Taos and, um, you know, started to read in stuff. So, you know, I was kind of hearing and, and, and her and Julie were definitely talking, they, they're really talking back and forth. And I was, you know, and then all of a sudden the press gets in there. I love it. Now I'm like a reality fight, like on the tabloid. Oh, Becky, you're at it. Ah, right. Look, oh my God, yeah. her dream is fulfilled. I'm on a tabloid. <laughs> like, you know, having a, you know, a, a housewife spat, you know, like one of the reserve for one of the housewives. I'm like, oh, wow, another dream fulfilled. Um, but, you know, in, in, the, in the process of it all, I think, you know, she, she kind of backed away from me and, and the press took that up nice and good. But, you know, she, she texted me in and was like, look, Norm, you know, I love you and this and this and that. And it all just unravel and don't worry about me. And I, I know you're thinking about me. And um, I'm just, you know, out here as a wild West woman doing my thing. And, you know, things will just be the way they are. So and what, She'll be what fine. is um, She'll be fine. her job? But I mean, I just have, having watched, you know, a couple of times, well, couldn't quite wrap my mind around been, it. I mean, 
her father was very um you know worked like i don't know how to describe because that's one of the things i was hoping to talk with her about because they do like lots of metaphysical things it's kind of like you know like for me if i get near a piece of tinfoil and it's near my mouth i can feel the vibes of it like literally i can feel it in my cavities and it literally is like chalk going down here so on a simple level they, there's energy around us all the time that can literally repress or depress us, you know, and her father and through a lot of people like Tesla, a lot of this stuff, like there's certain wavelengths and there's certain things of energy coming at people. And it's really super complicated. You know, he was a really big doctor and wrote a lot of stuff. And so, you know, she kind of studied under her dad and then different like people that worked in that field of where, you know, it's almost like that movie with um, Julianne Moore, Sape, and you, she's like, it's something is tearing me apart in the environment and I don't know what. And she's literally, you know, melting down that independent film. And she's, is it the plastic? Is it this or is it that? So I know it's along those lines and it has to do, and I hate to put words in my mouth because that's why I really didn't want her to go because it's very interesting work that she does. And she does have certain climate clients that do have ailments that you know do i don't know anything from like mag- migraines or something even more serious where she tries to understand you know is is there some kind of you know energy presence are you know are you you know being bombarded i mean there's all these cause and effects and and it's an area that you know doesn't have a lot of attention on it but there has been a lot of study on these on these things i mean there was just i heard something and in, in, in we pulled all of our diplomats from cuba because for some reason they were getting these you know headaches or being directed to them in the, the embassy like they literally their brains were being fried by something like some kind of a weapon was being aimed and it's an energy thing and so there are these different energies that are out there i don't know and she seems to try to figure that out as a doctor and find out what is what it's about and is there a real principle behind it, you know, and how to help with some of those things. So she's doing, and then she does her music. She's always been, she always writes and she's always, she's never not made an album. The woman's probably has like 12 or 15 albums out there. So she's very like creative in that sense. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm curious, Norma, what was the immediate aftermath of the show like for you from a dating perspective out on out single in New York City? Was it a smorgasbord? Oh, no, it was a disaster. And it was a it was a kind of okay. a fun, weird disaster. But one of the things was like, you know, I definitely was really smitten by uh, at the time. His name was Charles Dabney, but he became Prez. And, you know, mm. and it, it was, and, it, and I was just kind of a gateway to get at MTV and he got himself into like the Ricky Lake universe and then his talk show and stuff. And, you know, it'd be like, you know, um, oh my God, Norman, it's just, how, how could it be? You, you dated someone so hot. It was, or how could it be that you were just around Eric Neese and he was just so hot. Everything was always like, you know, it was like the ugly step person around all these people that could oh, get yeah. to something better. Like, and, and you know, I get my, this family, like, Oh my God, you were so lucky to date Charles Perez. He was so hot. I'm like, it was like, <laughs> these types yeah. of things. Um, mm-hmm. And then it was always very difficult yeah. when I would try to date somebody, um, you know, for me. And that was always kind of difficult because, you know, after uh, three or four months, they'd get to know me as like the smelly person from the Upper Peninsula that's, you know, isn't really, I don't need a BMW and I don't need this perfect gay life and to be this power gay couple that's going to do these things. I'm just very kind of real about what I do. 
and um and i'm an artist so i'm not like trying to break the bank you know you know and so a lot of times that would become like a tro a trophy thing that wasn't working out relationship after relationship and then i started just getting really just right down to brass tacks and just see who is real or not real get them in or out you know like you know okay i'm broke I have a small penis and this and that. So if you want to move forward, we can just kind of like get it done. And so we don't have to waste like, you know, uh, about the next three months of tears and crying is usually me. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, all of that. Um, so that was very difficult. And then people always have these great stories of you, like uh, that I did date them or I broke up these boyfriends and I I'd hear all these crazy, crazy stories that you just get caught up with. Um, but, uh, you know, it wasn't until about 10 or 15 years, maybe after the show that people slowly started recognizing me. Um, and then, um, so then I, I was able to start dating people once again, that just literally, Oh, I saw you at food bar and you were really like hot and cute. And who are you? And, um, you know, it, it, it was like four months before we were at a Christmas party and like, you're dating the guy in the real world and caught him completely off guard. <laughs> you know, like what is like yeah. this? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I understand that on a deep mm. level. You know, so, so, uh, yeah. um, you know, I was, as I, I mean, we all were so, moved i mean to tears by your vulnerability in in the homecoming you know about the toll that the pandemic had taken on your finances you know you lost your apartment and your stuff is on the street and you you know were with your family in michigan and it's just it taps into this like universal fear that, of going to your high school reunion and everyone seeing that you're not the most successful person in your class, um, you know, except in your case, this your class is the whole world, you know, did, did you know going into filming that you were going to open up as much as you did about how hard things had gotten? I was, you know, Honestly, I thought it was going to be maybe like also with Becky was um, more of like that. Oh, reunion. Talk about your A stand and your art, you know, the usual kind of like pumping, you know, things up around you, you know, just kind of, oh, remember this? Ha ha ha. And, oh, what are you doing now? And wow, you know, I produced the halftime show at the Super Bowl with Diana Ross and, well, and all these kind of stuff that's, you know, I've had a really kind of very interesting life with a lot of big resume stuff that I've done. But, you know, none of it has now it's just like, oh, it's a big swamp of a mess. And so it's like, OK, <laughs> how are we navigating through this? Um, so honestly, I didn't know. I mean, even the show itself was evolving. We, we would watch it go like we're going to do one episode or two episodes or all of a sudden it was going to become like six episodes. Like, you know, it was like expanding right around us, you know, as it was evolving this, you know, the, what, what they had. Um, I, uh, you know, and, and the new people, I said, wow, these, they're definitely like kind of material rich. We could maybe get six episodes out of this and rightfully so, which was nice. Um, cause a lot of people were like, would you go back and do it? Or why would you do it? And I was absolutely honored because when George Floyd was going around, they did MTV re-release the real world. A lot of people hadn't seen it and they put it back out in June. And so a lot of millennials who weren't born in 92 are now like mm, 24, 21, 18 and such. And they're like, what is this show? And, and you know, they were like, oh, the bisexual thing would come up or they relabeled Julie. I was watching them rewrite history right there. And I'm like reading these articles from all these millennials back in June going, what the 
hell are these these people have no idea what the world was like this there's no internet person you know you didn't have cell phones you, the attitudes and how people controlled you and what you know i grew up apologizing constantly and, and that's one thing i learned and i don't know if it's going to come across in the, the next episode you'll have to find out because Heather becomes the Oracle is that, you know, I'm, I, I've lived constantly apologizing, you know, I'm always like, come back, Becky, throw a pie in my face. I'm really sorry. And literally one of the things that I did learn going through this experience was, you know, to stop being apologetic for everything. Like I came from a world to apologize for who I was, you know, and try to get people to accept me and thus hopefully accept all of us and all these things. And these kids, and when I was reading this stuff in the summer, and I'm like, you don't know this whole rewriting and putting people back in history that weren't there. They weren't there. <laughs> you know, let's just call a spade a spade. They weren't there. I mean, yeah, it's great. You can come back and paint new voices into your past. I mean, but it wasn't there. I mean, even like I, I dated Lance Loud and was good friends with Lance Loud. You know, there was a part when Renee Ricard and Lance Loud and all these people from the Andy Warhol environment came into the loft, you know back in, in the day and um you know even with lance when i talked to him it, you know everybody was like glam rock it wasn't like oh i'm out there being the gay guy on american you know family and stuff like this it was just like you know it was part of the whole glam rock thing you know but the gay history wants to go back and they're constantly remining and recorrecting things you know i mean it was just, a, and in 1972, it was a totally different universe. Once again, another hemisphere of how people saw and people were going through a sexual revolution. They were opening up these doors and, you know, they, their definitions were very different than when we hit the 80s, you know, when, it, when disco died and rock took control and, you know, gay people were dying. I mean, it was a whole different galaxy of what people thought of gay people. <laughs> And that word, you know, is, you know, very different. And so it's interesting seeing, and that's why I was so elated when I, I thought it was, they were punking me when they said that they wanted to do this reunion series, you know? I mean, but it seems like the, the conditions were exactly perfect. Yeah. You know, like everyone's schedules, you know, we have found out that we can step away from our day to day. If we need to, um, the I'm curious about the location. What is 565 Broadway now? It's got to be like a WeWork or something, right? Or is wow, it someone's real apartment? Well, um, you know, a few years back, and now it's like ten years. You know, Oprah Winfrey did. Where are they now? And um, yeah, they put me and Julie in that loft. And Oprah, you know, she's Oprah, so she can get things. And you know, the loft yeah. is owned by Winston Churchill's granddaughter. And so okay. an incredible artist, that you know, to the floor is hers, the whole thing. And so it went up for sale. And that's why a lot of people are probably like, why, why isn't this on the 30th? Why are they making, you know, shouldn't they have done this show on the 30th? And, and once again, the, the conditions were just right because the place came up for sale and they were like, we have to do it now. It's not going to be around for the, we're never going to see this again. And, you know, they're going to probably chop that whole floor up because you could make four decent sized lofts in that thing it's right across from the guggenheim yeah. offices downtown on prince and broadway there and which is so funny because i worked for the guggenheim when i was on the show so i'd you know <laughs> just go underneath and go across the street to the guggenheim to the offices and they yeah. would watch me from the windows where and like and everyone had their shirts off because they had like 10ks they weren't like the kino flows they hadn't been invented yet so everything was hot studio lighting so it was always 102 degrees in that place 
And so we were always yeah. without our shirts on and stuff. And they're like, it's February. What are you all doing over there naked all the time, running around with all the lights <laughs> on? Those are my employers at the Guggenheim across the street. And I'm like, oh, God, I can't. I'm trying to explain it to them. My yeah, my my suspicion was that it was someone's maybe someone's home, and they were you know off in the Hamptons or something. Yeah, it's quite the home. pandemic, and, and just it, you know, in, in, yeah. in, in, in the control room, which you don't see, is very large. It was probably had thirty people working in it, and then you had another area where the person's personal stuff was stored, and then you've got the the two areas. So it's the floor of that building. I mean, you literally could can easily break it into four. So whoever buys it would probably like, okay, it's easy to make four incredible, very expensive apartments or live in loft spaces out of that one space. You know, there's this great moment that, uh, you know, when you have opened up about um, how hard shit has gotten when your roommates, you know, rally around you and kind of give you this loving kick in the butt, uh, encouraging you to, to get back to your art and to sort of, paint your way out of this and and then we get into this chocolate bunny series and as i'm watching i'm immediately like googling the chocolate bunnies and how can i get a chocolate bunny painting and of course now there's a wait list have these rabbits uh what what kind of impact have they had okay a um i'm an idiot and i totally did not want to do that i just thought it was gonna be so cheesy you know here's norm with this interlocking cooper union yale art history background you know and you know, and I've been quite successful in, in a couple years selling artwork. You know, I've got like, if you go to the Sunset Marquee Hotel, all the paintings in that hotel are mine. And um, and various, you know, across the country. You know, I've had, I have stuff in Stedelijk and in, in, in Amsterdam and, and, you know, I've shown it like the Contemporary Museum of Art. So, you know, I've, I've done some really good things right. <laughs> that yeah, had happened. But, you know, it's always like feast or famine. It's not like everyone's buying paintings every day. And, and, and sometimes, you know, it, one painting sits in a gallery for a year and a half before it sells. You know what I mean? Um, and then luckily you get maybe one show a year and half of that sells and you got to pay the gallery. So, you know, it's it's not the easiest by any means. So I just thought, oh, God, making art on camera is nuts. But when I start telling the story of like literally – you know, in my Zoom meetings with the rabbits like this, you know, that's how my friends were like, oh, my God, Norm, what, you know, can I get one of those? And, I, you know, I just kind of have my own little gallery behind me as we would bullshit on, on Zoom. We were trapped in our house. And um, I'm so happy that Kevin and Heather and everyone really came together to, to do this and give me that opportunity. I don't even know how. I really thought, once again, like when I've done my Kickstarters, or my Indiegogo's, I'm out there, please buy one of these A stands. It's going to be really cool. And please get one of these paintings. I had no idea when I woke up. I was almost so disorganized that orders were coming in. And I'm still right now trying to figure out, like, on these lists right here that oh I've got, like, you know, like, what? Is this person paying, not paying? Are they going forward? And then other people want to go. So I'm, like, literally scrambling. I, I'm just insane and and i this this person is, is stepping in to help me organize because i'm dyslexic and if you want to know if you get an, a real email from me it'll you can't understand it it's like a third grader wrote it You're like okay norm really responded <laughs> you know yeah. and when my marketing guy i'm comes, telling you it's though, gonna look perfect that letter but yes i mean the rabbits it. were just oh god i mean i can't even believe what they how, what they've done to save me and not only that it's also introduced me. It, 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 you know, all of a sudden I'm able to benefit from these tools that so many people 
that we open doors for these media things that have allowed people to, I don't know, go get their vodka line, which I wish was $100 million. But whatever it is, a lot of these people through these platforms have been able to really benefit and connect to an audience, you know, and this whole opportunity connected me in a way that I didn't anticipate was going to happen. You know, now I'm working like a dog. I can't abandon the bakery and I, I don't want to because I'm completely just nervous. Like once you lose all of your money and you're struggling, you're like, okay, I can't, you know, I just savings and just work really hard, you know, I don't know. Yeah. So personally, after season one of the real world homecoming, what's the what's the DM situation looking like? Are people creeping like crazy? Are you are potential boyfriends coming out of the woodwork? Oh, that's a big, long story. Um, <laughs> okay. That's a big, long story. I don't know how much time we have. But, you know, I always had like oh, a we got all day like, um, you know, a love of my life. It was very kind of great. And we actually were very soulmate connection before the real world. And once the real world happened, he felt like I became somebody that he couldn't recognize. Like, And it wasn't the true, but people saw you on television and you were so much bigger than them and they would never be able to, uh, you know, measure up that there's always these things like someone's really rich in a relationship and then you struggle because you're not but when you when you're famous and like you good luck trying to get that ticket you know it's not so easy and so that's always hard in a relationship too because you're trying to balance that out so he just was like and i would just once again apologize and he just super and then of course back in the day you know he has one of those common names you know that is like one of those Irish names that you like John Smith that we you could impossible to find in a Boston phone book because everyone's named John Smith, you know, like bazillions of them. And I spent years and years because once, you know, he left New York, I couldn't find him. And I couldn't find him. And I kept looking and looking and looking and looking. And then I finally did find him. There was a picture on a little poster in Florida as a realtor kind of dude doing whatever. And so we, you know, but, by that time, you know, he's like married off and, you know, <laughs> and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so, but, you know, I guess that marriage kind of broke up and and he's kind of on hard times too. So we, we did start to like reconnect, but I, I don't know, maybe that, maybe that, that dream and that train has gone beyond because um, other people are really suffering too in COVID and it might be beyond my help at this point and might need the help of other people okay. you know what i mean yeah. kind of sad yeah. you know it's like pet cemetery it's like oh my god it came back and you know and it's not yeah. the same one <laughs> right as it was um yeah. so uh, yeah no i mean the, the one, one really exciting thing was was as they were expanding the show like when it went from like okay we're not gonna do just do this reunion we're gonna start to sp- you know, making more out of this. We're trying to figure out what to do in, in the COVID. And so they were going to try to set me up on a date. So they were like, okay, get everyone together. Give me all your headshots, who you really like, you know, oh, and it's so terrible, but I really have this terrible crush on that Chad Wolf. He's, <laughs> I know, he's like the Homeland Security Secretary for under Trump. Oh, oh the big okay. ears, the dark uh-huh. hair. Oh my God, I just love him. Have to look <laughs> so him I don't know, I'm like, he's got to be gay. I just love that Chad Wolf character. And um, everyone would like go, wait, he's like the Homeland Security people that kicks everyone off the border or whatever, you know, just like on the Trump administration people. And yeah, I I'm think we like, can do better than that. I just love it. Yeah, I can't stand it. So I'm like, yeah. What? I, I, aim a tiny bit higher yeah. than Chad Wolf. <laughs> we You're believe in Antigua. But that's my type. I'm gotcha. just saying, 
I just that's the type that I like, you know. I don't know. I, I okay. That's, you know, they're they look. You know, they got big ears and dark hair. Let me know. And 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 they're sociopathic. Oh, I, I know. And and then I also have a terrible crush. And people they yell at me, and they, they don't think it's right, but it is right because he's really attractive, and he's a speaker. But unfortunately, he was born with flippers. You know, and his name is like Dominic Nikolic something or other. And he's a motivation speaker. And he's from Australia. Oh, my God. The most beautiful face. Uh-huh. And you wouldn't know it. And I'm like watching this guy and he's talking and doing all this kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, he's got like he's got no hands. He's got, he's got like a flipper mm-hmm. person. You know, he's got like the feet and the stuff, you know. And I'm like. And gay oh. or no? I'm like, but I don't care. Gay what? or no? I was hoping uh-huh. he was gay. And then all of a sudden, I've been watching, watching. All of a sudden, he, he mentioned a wife or uh-huh. family and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, my God. Okay. Well, oh. well, obviously, after this airs, it, it's going to be it's going to be a, all a, you a chat looking I, guys I in your DMs my, my on every venue. On my stomach, so I'm, I'm hoping there could be some oh, like endorsements here by you know I can maybe get rid of um, Marie Osmond or something like this, and you know spin myself Knock on a dance beautiful with just the, the way stars you are. do a whole makeover because you know I'm about two months Ooh. away, and I look I would look pretty good. You look. Great, I have Norm. not. I had not considered a Dancing with the Stars for any of you, but I mean, but obviously that could be in play. Would you do such well, a thing? I would be complete comedy because being a dyslexic person, that's why I avoid yoga because my friends are always like, "Norm, yoga," um, and uh, you know, and I'll go there and do stuff. And these women are very serious; they're very into it, you know. And and unless there's people of like all, of all backgrounds in a yoga class, I'll walk right out because it's. Ooh, it's like a nest of Karens are all getting ready to pop in there. Yeah. And this is their time. So when they're like, okay, go up, do this, make that move, go this way. I go the wrong way and clock the woman next to me. You know, And I'm 6'4", so I'm really big. Like People don't get how big I'm big. And so, um, yeah, yoga, is. All, I'm always tumbling in the wrong direction. So Dancing with the Stars, I'd probably get a kick out of me with like struggling with like massive dyslexicness, you know. It's out there. It's out there. And Norman, this has been a wild ride (laughs) and a beautiful one. I'm so happy we got a chance to talk to you. Can't wait for you to be back out in Los Angeles. Look at you. You got CBGBs right behind you. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Norman, uh, you are a treasure. Thank you you so much. I... And I'll, I'll I'll shoot you an address for uh, for pasties. Oh, I love that. Thank you guys very much. It's been an honor. It really has. I, I really appreciate it. Awesome. And thanks for sharing my story. It, you know, and, and and helping people through some questions that you know, like. What? And by the way, yeah. uh, nobody cares about my been. opinion, but I know people are like, "Is there going to be homecoming for the se- the OG season two cast?" And I'm like, you know what? I don't want them. I want OG cast once a year. Let's check back yeah, in once a year. Come back. Yeah, I mean, come back for Christmas yeah. and stuff like that. I mean, Becky kept talking about France. I'm not all about. I I could I could chill in France if that's the way to go. I've got you know plenty of places here in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Sure. Very hospitable mm-hmm. here. Snowmobiles are ready. <laughs> I'm I'm in, and I don't even need for there to be conflict. I just want to be with my out. friends, you know, once in a while. You want to be with your friends? I mean, yeah. come on, Heather is just oh. you know completely. Oh. You can never get it's enough. One of the greats. Oracle. One of the greats. Love it. Norman, you are a goddamn joy. Thank you for being here. Thank you.